Support for today's heat treat radio episode is provided by the Quintus ebook, High Pressure Heat Treatment Leading the Renaissance of Hot Isostatic Pressing. Get it today at www.heattreattoday.com forward slash ebook. And welcome to Heat Treat Radio. Whether you're listening to us or tuning in via video on heattreattoday.com forward slash radio, we're glad to have you. We have the honor to hear from another heat treat legend in our industry, John L. Becker president and founder of Heat Treat Equipment. Doug Glenn, publisher of Heat Treat Today and host of this podcast, has been chatting with the legends walking among us who've been involved with the North American heat treat industry for a while, and he's getting a sense of where they've been, what they're doing, and what advice they have to share with the current generation of heat treaters. Tenacious is the word that comes to mind after this conversation. Let's take a listen. I want to take a few minutes just to delve into to how you got started in the heat treat industry and some of the some of the uh, you know your career path and that uh, things of that sort, including the fact. And I do want to say it right up front: you were the founder, and we'll get to this. You were the founder owner of the JL Becker Company, which was in the not too uh, not too distant past was purchased by Gasberry Products. Uh, so you're no longer associated with that company since you sold it. But you are with, started another company, Heat Treat Equipment. But let's go back, Heat Treat Equipment Company. Let's go back all the way to the beginning. How did you get started in the heat treat industry? Well, it goes back to the summer of 64. Um, I'd been going to a junior college before that, after I got out of high school, and I started dating my current wife. And I've only had one wife, so. That's good. Uh, her That's father good. actually was in the steel division at Ford, Ford Motor Company. And uh, I needed a summer job in 64. Um, he, through his contacts, I was able to get a job there. And uh, I had a very, very prestigious position. I had my own tools. It was a stick with this thing on the end. They called it a broom. And I was able to sweep up, and uh, I was a, a, a very first-class janitor. So, and then I was able to move up <laughs> to a helper's position. But in uh, working there for the summer, I saw a lot about uh, making of steel and the production processes. And I used to hang around the lab uh, because in the summer the lab was air conditioned. So. To take advantage of the air conditioning, I could pretend like that I was interested in the lab. So I, I spent time in the lab, and uh, at the end of the summer, they asked if I would consider going on co-op for metallurgy. And I thought, well, that sounds easy, so I can do that. And uh, not realizing what I was in for, but uh, so I, I started in metallurgy, and I worked uh, for Ford. And I went to Western Michigan, where I received a, a BES, a Bachelor's of Engineering Science uh, from Western. And I graduated in 1968. Uh, and during that time, I co-opted, you know, work, school, work, school. And uh, when I was at work, I used to take classes at like Wayne State, uh, Lawrence Tech, uh, different places that I could get, you know, get some hours or get a class. And um, then when, after I graduated in that, uh, they put me in a area called AADGO, 
automobile assembly division general offices. And I was a fastener engineer. So we were dealing with nuts, bolts, screws, washers, and I started visiting heat treats. The same time they put me on the MBA management program through the University of Michigan. So there was a lot of people in Rockford, Illinois that made fasteners and uh, other areas. And one of the areas we were concerned was with heat treating. Yeah. And that thing called the uh, Delta Appendix C, the Q101 for Ford, quality 101 points. It all came about because of Lake Nader. And so I would go around inspecting these different plants. And the thing that I was involved in was heat treating. So I got to know several people in heat treating, was kind of fascinated by it. And in 70, Ford laid me off. Um, and so I was still finishing up school. I had a child and that, and, and actually I started teaching school part-time. So I was a school teacher for a while. And yeah, it was a part-time, I was what they call the permanent substitute. So I would work a lot of different days, but, um, and I quite enjoyed that, it was a lot of fun. Uh, and I started working for a company and we sold high temperature uh, materials, uh, conveyor belts, et cetera, et cetera. And I did that for a while. And uh, really, I looked at it and I did pretty well at it. And I was pretty successful at it. And uh, I, the more I looked at it and, and what I was getting paid, and this company also had reps. And the reps were getting 10%. And I'm getting a salary and, and expenses and that. And I understand that it was a pretty good deal. Um, but I still looked at reps. And I decided, you know, here's what I sold. And on their commission base, this is what they made. And I made like 10% of that value. So I decided to really go on my own. And I started the J.L. Becker Company. And um, I started out of my house. And, uh, and Michigan, as, a, as, a, as a rep, right? I mean, basically, you as started... a rep. Yeah. Yep. And I had uh, four principals uh, and some other people that were in the industry, but I didn't represent them, but I could I could sell their products. And uh, yeah. one we had was uh, the wire mesh conveyor belt of Canada, uh, I squared R, which is silicon carbide heating elements. Yep. Yep. Uh, we had a line of hearth plates, thermocouples. Uh, I became the walkie, walkie engineering rep. Yep. Yep. And mm -hmm. uh, and because of that, I called on a lot of OEMs like surface combustion and atmosphere furnace and et cetera, et cetera. Right. And um, so we we built it up. Uh, like I say, everybody in Michigan had a basement. So my uh, my dad had given me a, a used desk. And in those days, he had a wired phone yeah, and yeah. wired to the wall. And you had to buy them. So my dad had given me an old phone and a desk. And so I started the company. And in the basement of the house, I had a little tiny cubby, about probably four foot by seven foot or so. And that was my world headquarters. Yeah. And uh, yeah. started there. And uh, after six months, uh, I started to interview because it wasn't as great as I thought at the beginning. Oh, you started and to interview for other for a job, not people to work for you, for but job. you to work for yeah. 
Yeah. Right. With the salary and benefits, that's all the things that, yeah. that I didn't yeah. have. Right. And I'd been calling on Monroe Auto Equipment and Monroe, Michigan. And Monroe Auto Equipment has four plants that do powdered metallurgy. And they make components for shock absorbers. And I become friends with the guy there, Fleming Pruitt. I still remember his name to this day. Called me and asked me for a particular product. I got a price for it. And um, I got a price for it and called him back. And he said, um, I made a mistake. I didn't want 20 pieces. I wanted 200. And, and I was going to say make 10 bucks a piece or something, number like that. Well, all of a sudden, I'm like, whoa. And um, that started it. And I just I got another order, another order, another order. And then over time, I started looking at, well, why don't I have some of my own products where I could control the price? I could buy it for X, add my overhead to it or whatever. And then in 74, I moved to an office in Livonia, Michigan. Uh, it was in a multi-tenant type building and the fellow had rented two spots and he had to back in the storage area and an office. So he had an empty office. So I started there and then in, uh, uh, I, I ended up hiring a gal by the name of Carol Campbell, uh, right about then, uh, for $90, uh, $90 a week and no benefits. And she did an outstanding job for me. And in 76, I think it was, I hired Dave Peterson. And Dave still, as you know, worked with me yet today. So I wasn't able to chase him away, but I tried. Uh, tried and failed, but... Uh, so, it, you know, from there, it was just, uh, I added another piece to the puzzle. You know, each year we expanded and um, I got busy enough where I would, you know, I visited someone who I was selling different components to and um, they had a piece of equipment they wanted to get rid of. And I had visited someone else the day before who was looking for the same thing. I didn't have to be that bright to understand this guy wanted a dollar, this guy was willing to pay $2. Well, that worked out pretty good and I did it a few times, but then uh, the, the next time I did it, the person said, you need to take it out. So I was okay. able to, there was a group of guys, my office at that time was right behind Holcroft in Livonia. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and. Yep. So a lot of guys that worked there, I got to know, and they would come and work for me on weekends. So Friday, Saturday, Sunday, we would dismantle, move things, ship them out. And then eventually I got a little shop. I hired a fellow to run the shop. His name is Charlie Hadela, who now has Great Lakes Industrial Furnace. Right. And Charlie ran the shop. And then we started refurbishing equipment. And then in 78 or 79, uh, Borg Warner Corporation in uh, in uh, Sterling Heights, Michigan, I think Sterling Heights, but uh, asked me and I was doing maintenance for them and selling components. Uh, I did a lot with brazing and centering furnaces. Yeah. Uh, 
and they had some batch furnaces, which I was getting familiar with. And uh, they asked me if I could build a tempering furnace. They needed a new temper. And of course, I said yes. Yeah. I didn't having have a never, Having never done this before. Right. So I did that. And uh, uh, we, we, we finally figured it out. I hired an engineer who worked for us part time for a while. And uh, the shop became a busier situation and we started to build actually some equipment and i hired my first engineer was a fellow by the name of don lafleur who's now passed away mm -hmm. uh, and don came in and really helped shepherd us along to do design work so we started to build some belt type furnaces for centering and brazing and there were other people in the industry who had small operations, you know, to do refractory work or do electrical. So leaning on those individuals, we started to build. And so by 1980, I had two guys in engineering. I had Dave in sales, um, Carol in the office. My wife, Eileen, was our CFO, as she still is today. And it just went from there. And by 83, we moved to another building, a larger building. And then in 89, we moved to a larger facility. And then in uh, 90, it was 2000, we moved to a larger facility. So we had gone from about $700,000 to about $25 million when my last couple of years. So we built it up. We did... Uh, uh, in fact, we have equipment we built in the Ukraine, which my son, Matt, uh, did the startup on. And we just looked at it in satellite, and it's still standing and hasn't been blown up yet. And that particular system, uh, uh, we actually built two more systems, a duplicate system to it for Russia. Uh, we built equipment in Israel, uh, Dubai, Saudi Arabia. Uh, Thailand, China, of course, several systems. Uh, Korea was the first place out of the country that I sold uh, a piece of equipment to. And it was right at the beginning, probably in the later part of the 70s, probably later part of the 70s, maybe very, very early 80s. But uh, at Ford Motor Company, there was a research scientist. He was a Korean fellow, Dr. Sankey Su. And he had gone back to Korea to head a thing called KIM, K-A-M-M. It was Korean Industrial Metallurgy and Mines or something like that. Uh, and he called me and ordered a furnace. So we built a furnace, uh, a, a research type uh, centering furnace and uh, endo generator. And I actually went to Korea and did the startup. And that was one of the first international ones. But of course, we've shipped equipment to Canada, to Mexico, uh, you know, quite a few, few different places. So, um, and I, at 68 years old is when I sold to Gasberry. Okay, which was what? How, what year was that? What year was that sale? Just 2011. 2011. Okay, just to give people a sense of how how long ago that was, I couldn't remember the exact year. So, yeah, great. So you're 
I've uh, this, your your experiences are very interesting. I think your your the tentacles, your fingers are involved with a lot of other people in the industry. I remember when we sat down before, you said, "Oh yeah, I've done business with this guy. I've done business with this guy." Some of the suppliers. So there was a startup company in around seventy seventy one called yeah. Custom Electric Furnace. Yeah. Okay. And there was a engineer there. That, there was basically three or four people involved, but the one principal was Tim Musto, who yeah. was the um, Tim was the um, engineer. Charlie Hadla, who was, um, I guess, like the president and shop manager, and they had a fellow there, Randy, and that, and they had all came from a company called Alexander Engineering, which goes way, way back. Uh, Anyways, they started, and another guy who used to come over there, another, and I started repping them, and I sold a few furnaces for him. And another guy I was, uh, was going and was repping around there was Jeff Smith, and he worked for the Young C. Smith Company, which represented a company out of New York who made heat exchangers. And Jeff came up with the idea, why don't I make my own heat exchangers? And that's when they started SBS. Yeah, SBS Corp, which is still around today. Right. And his son, George, you know, as, as you know, Jeff passed away. Yes. Um, I also, during that same time period, became friends with John Young. John, yeah. Uh, and John's father had a uh, perfection heat treating company. And his father unexpectedly died uh, just before Christmas. And I'm going to say 76. I don't remember the time. Yeah. And anyways, John and I became friends, and uh, his wife's name was Eileen. My wife's name was Eileen. We both had degrees in metallurgy. I mean, yeah. our backgrounds were very parallel to one another. John and I ended up buying a heat treating company called Steel Improvement Company. And John ran that company for um, successfully for about roughly 10 years. Uh, and then also, John and I got in with a, a let forging and we he had a company called Titan Steel Treating and John and I bought each bought a quarter of that company and ran it for several years uh 84 85 hurt the heat treat industry in Detroit and we ended up liquidating both those companies so uh, but uh, you know like just like Jeff Smith I mean people from Eclipse uh refractory people uh, you know we we interfaced with so many people here and you know in the metropolitan detroit area you have everything you can think of electrical supplies wire refractory engineering help machining uh, fabricating steel suppliers every everything's right at our fingertips you have a real cornucopia of of support type people and uh you know from lawyers to accountants to medical to whatever so it was a, a good place the nature company and uh like i say we built the company up and you know really i was motivated to sell at the time my oldest boy died in 09 and uh that that kind of hurt me personally obviously and uh in 2010, my younger son, Matt, who's kind of a men's kid, uh, announced he was going to leave to open a brewery, which 
you know all about that, and which has been extremely successful. And then Gasberry approached me uh, at that time, and and you know my thoughts of passing the business on to my sons and blah blah blah. Well, that was trash. So I stole the company, and when I after I stole it, and I really kind of consult with them for a couple of years. It was all part of the contract. Um, you know, I, I kind of realized, hey, I really don't want to get out of this. I think I thought about my age and I pulled the trigger a little too quick. You know, I'm 79. I still work almost every day. Uh, I, I just, I, I love the business and, I, and I've come to know so many people in the business that I interface with. And I've had some very, very strong supporters over the year uh, for the equipment that we built. Uh, one guy that I was probably the the, the nicest guy, uh, the, you couldn't have asked for a better friend, was Jim Henderscott. Oh, yeah. Who yep. had Carolina Commercial Heat Treating, and Jim sold it to Gibraltar and on and on right. and on. And now most all our all our plants are part of uh, Body yeah. Coat. Yeah. And uh, I think everybody's part of Body Coat now. I don't. But anyhow. <laughs> yeah. 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 There's, uh, there's some truth to that. We'll return in just one moment. But first, a word from our sponsor. Are you part of a forward thinking team? Are you looking for resources to help you understand cutting edge technologies and heat treat? If so, you have to check out the free ebook. High Pressure Heat Treatment, Leading the Renaissance of Hot Isostatic Pressing. This short resource is provided by Heat Treat Today through a partnership with the great people over at Quintus Technologies. In High Pressure Heat Treatment, Leading the Renaissance of Hot Isostatic Pressing, you'll learn critical need-to-know knowledge about high pressure heat treating as well as where the technology is going. Download High Pressure Heat Treatment, Leading the Renaissance of Hot Isostatic Pressing to find out more. Again, your copy to freely download is at www.heatreetoday.com forward slash ebook. Now back to the episode. All right. So speaking of these individuals, think back to the early days, uh, you know, that we were talking about. Are there two or three people who maybe had a significant impact, kind of people that came alongside and encouraged you to, to you know, carry right. on and do good? Who, who might they be? You know, I really can't point to anybody individually. Yeah. Um, obviously, my wife was a was a supporter. Sure. Um, you know, she got burned with the accounting side yeah. of the, the yeah. business. Uh, you know, the um, uh, I had a lot of different people. There was a buyer at Ford, uh, and I was calling on Ford because certain plants uh, would buy conveyor belts and silicon carbide heating elements and other components. Then we actually did some rebuilds for Ford and some new equipment and that uh, was very supportive. Another guy at AC Spark Plug up in Flint uh, did a lot of work for them and actually built several pieces of equipment. Uh, so it was more people believing in me and believing that I could do the job and, and all that and giving me the opportunity to do it, which I guess could be one way they were they were yeah. supporting me or yeah. and that. 
versus I didn't have uh, someone that I could sit down with yeah, uh, and talk about maybe feelings or frustrations or ideas. Um, but over the years, I ended up and my, my best friend just passed away about a week ago. And he be, he was a Ford dealer. And he would listen to me all the time and give me advice. And, uh, you know, he built up a company where he's the number one Ford dealer uh, for 21 and 22 volume worldwide in a small little town of Livonia. Yeah, and very prestigious and very well-liked individual and, and uh, that. And he gave me a lot of advice about not trying to micromanage about giving control, giving up, giving control to other people, uh, you know, and, and hiring people, trusting them, let them do their job. And also how you treated individual. And I think I learned a lot from that. Uh, so I, I would say those are the, probably the, some of the ones that. Right. Uh, right. So you look back, John, on your career, uh, what would be, as you, you know, you can get a chance now to look back, what would be one or two of what you consider to be your most significant accomplishments? Time, to, it's, it's, a, it's an opportunity to brag a little bit, I suppose. Well, I, I'll tell you, one thing we did, which worked out very well, is Dave Peterson worked with the company, and I, I won't mention their name, yeah. but, and then I got into it, and they had bought a used piece of equipment and did some converting on it to do a process. Right. And we worked with them, and they had built one, and then we built their next one and kind of, let's say, upgraded it to the next phase. Right. And then... We worked on the design and built it, built and built it to where I want to say they have about 50 of these units. Uh, and I think all told between myself and Gasberry, there may be 55 of them built. Gotcha. And if you look mm -hmm. at it at roughly, say, a million dollars a piece, they were very successful. Yeah. And they were using my son, Matt, developed the software and automated all the controls through uh, mass flow sensors, et cetera, et cetera. Really, uh, and this was early on before a lot of things that we have today. If you look back, this was all new technology at the time. So that was, that was uh, a very, very, uh, uh, I think, kind of, Feather in our cap, and that was a whole team. And I hate that word "team" overused, but you know the engineering department did the engineering. You know the the, the shop, the, the people in fabricating, and that all had ideas, and they were incorporated into it. Matthew was redeveloping the software and the controls, and the, developing all the programming in that. Where before they did a lot of mechanical and timing issues where a bell would ring and an operator would have to do something. This was all automated. It took him out of it. And it was a 30, 40, 50 hour process. Uh, and you could kind of 
put the fish in the kettle and let them boil. So they were done. You didn't. And, and it's very successful. I mean, the company's very successful. And the equipment's been very successful. That's probably could show, you know, how the whole group pulled together and did it. All right. You know, my success has been talking. You know, my has ability to talking. Oh. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. You know, I, I've been able to connect with people. Um, you know, I'm pretty tenacious. I'm like a bulldog on an ankle. You know, it's yeah. hard to get me off. You're right. And but I've always been fortunate, and I, my middle initial is L, and I tell everybody for lucky. Yeah, yeah. I've been very fortunate to have a very loyal group of individuals. Like yeah. we're here now at Heat Treat Equipment. Uh, Bill Richardson has started me in 1980 and, and was chief engineer, uh, is with me now. Yeah. Dave Peterson was my sales manager since like 76, 77, is with me now you know, people in our shop. I did not solicit these people. Yeah. They came. They came. Me and asked. And they're here again. But when I had the uh, jail Becker, they promoted it. I mean, they, they were the ones that made the clock work. Yeah. Okay. I would go out, do the sales and contribute to them, you know, try to close the deal. Uh, you know, I had really more people, you know, we had four or five gals plus the CPA, plus my wife in the office, you know, for insurance, employee benefits, payroll, right. paying the bills, all that. And that worked very well, but that wasn't my department. Okay. I I, I looked at it macroly, but you know, the micro work was done by all of them and they did a very good job. They were very organized in yep. that. Uh, the same thing in the shop. I mean, you know, the, uh, the things that were done in the shop and that, uh, yeah. and in engineering. So I really have to look at that and say, they're the ones that made the business keep moving. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Well, you hire the right people. With, Go ahead. No, I see it. I would come in and say, I sold another standard piece of equipment, except yeah. everything is different. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, they get old. They get old standard equipment. Yeah, yeah, I know standard. Except nothing on it was the same. It was the it was same. Yeah, exactly. So, John, over your over your uh, work career, were there any disciplines that you developed? I, I'm looking. The, I, the reason I'm asking this question is I'm wondering if other people that are going to be listening to this, younger people who are maybe just starting or have been in the industry for a while. You know, what what lessons can they learn from you? One of them would be, were there any disciplines that you developed relatively earlier on or even later in your career that you felt were really beneficial for you and for and for your company? But were there any disciplines that you developed? I can't think of anything specifically. I think that one of the things when I was starting, I mean, they always say never quit, never take no for an answer. Yeah. And yeah. So I never quit. And I used to tease some of the other guys, you know, because they would call on a customer for years, literally four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years. Yeah. And nothing had happened. And they would call them, call them. Then there was that lucky change of personnel. And all of a sudden everything started to happen. We became their their guys. 
Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I think that being tenacious, I think listening, you know, yeah. I do a lot of talking, but people don't realize I do actually listen. Uh, I think <laughs> yeah. listening, but understanding, you know, for in sales, what does your customer want? What's his expectations? And, you know, I don't think there, there's a percentage of it. I'm not going to pick on any any other company, but some more or less sell from a catalog. And they and we I always felt we were willing to change to try to modify, say, or make our equipment fit our customers' needs, not our customer needs fitting our equipment. So there are some that they have equipment. This is what you get. There is no changing it. It's it's done. Uh, where we always went in and looked at. So we would change things. That's what I said. Another standard piece, except everything's different. So we we try to modify it to uh, work with our customers. I think that uh, a huge percentage that we work with. I know when I sold the company, I know Gasberry enjoyed quite a bit of repeat business from our customer base. So I think our customer base is loyal and. Uh, but the loyalty came back from being loyal to them. And we, like everybody else, had problems. Everybody has problems. And my point was, we need to fix the problem, not fix blame, and we didn't worry about the cost. When it was done and resolved, then we could go back and look at it. Was it something we did? Was it improper usage? Right. Et cetera, et cetera. So you don't and walk away from a problem. No, never did. Never yeah. walked away from a problem. Uh, and trust me, I had them over the years. So. Did you ever lose any big money on them? I don't want the de details, but just I think it's important for people to know, hey, this happens. Yeah. Yeah. More than once. More than once. You know, and, well, and you live to tell the, about it. Yeah. Well, you know, the, the, the problem is, is you can... Sometimes I was quick on the draw and, you know, a guy that draws fast can shoot his foot off. So uh, <laughs> the gun goes off a little too quick. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. ready, fire, aim. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, I, every time I try to jam a square peg into a round hole. Yeah. Like I said, it was tenacious. And I would fight and fight and fight and fight for an order and get it and get cream. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah, I got you. How how did you handle work life balance, it, or was that never a struggle for you? What what life, right? It's all work. No, it was never never a struggle. I mean, yeah, I worked six days a week, but when the kids were growing up, I coached baseball. I had a soccer team I coached in Northville with both my boys. Uh, you know, we loved Florida. Because uh, my grandparents were down there, my mother's parents were down there, and my my parents moved there, and a brother and sister that lived there, and et cetera, et cetera. So uh, we started going down to Florida, you know, very early in our lives in the 70s. And so we took vacations with the boys and that stuff. And, I, you know, their plays, things they did at school, we did all that. Uh, I think we had a pretty good life. Over the years, I've developed a, um, 
a, a lack of memory. Okay. So when I walk out the door, my memory just falls off somewhere and I'm driving home and I get home and I can't remember, you know, so I never, even though Eileen was involved in the business, yeah, I didn't go home and talk about the business. Gotcha. Yeah. I left it. So I that's a good, here. that's a good, that's good advice. I mean, to a certain extent, people need to, it's hard when you're starting your own business or running your own business to separate work, work life, do the work life balancing. So that's a good piece of advice. You go yeah. home, don't talk about the business. One thing I learned is that the work you won't do, didn't do today will be there tomorrow. We'll the still work be there. Will be there. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, there when early on, I did a few things. I missed a funeral for a friend. Yeah. That I, I still look back at 30 years later huh. and say, I could have canceled or rescheduled those appointments and I could have gone there. Right. And I still say I, I should have done that and I didn't. Yeah. And I'm sorry today. Yeah. Because the 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 this the appointments that I did never turned out to be anything. Yeah. And you know, versus that. So I've always carried that around that, you know, I should have right. been there for that person, even though they had passed and that. So yeah. And I, I think you make decisions like that. And I think you've got to remember that a lot of these things will be there tomorrow that you don't get today. Right. Right. Exactly. Okay. Couple wrap up questions, John. Um, curious if there's some, and this, these are going to be more advice oriented questions, right? From a senior member of the industry, maybe to the younger people. Um, were there one or two lessons that you learned along the way, you know, words of wisdom that you would give uh, to, I guess I've, I'm combining, mashing these two questions together. So is there two or three things or one or two things that you learned, lessons that you learned along the way that had you known them back at the beginning of your career, you would have done things differently? And, and then just generally, what advice would you give to younger people in the industry? Um, send your resumes out somewhere else. <laughs> They uh, find a different career, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You don't mean that. Certainly, you, you. That he treated has been good to you, you know. Yeah. Oh, it, it has been. It, trust me. It's. It's. Yeah. I love it. I love the industry. Uh, you know, I think that one of the things for younger people, especially in sales. And I would go work on a sale and I thought, boy, I've got this thing and find out I lost to a competitor. Not really realizing the, the purchasing guy's brother-in-law was my competitor. So understanding the politics of situations, uh, the relationships, okay? Uh, I've had people I've been very, very, very close to and they would go out for bids, but I knew I was getting the work. Uh, to understand the relationship, who they worked with in the past. The other thing I think is important is technical society. You know, like I belong to ASM. Uh, I belong to the, I used to belong to MPIF, uh, the, the APMI, uh, and I, I was one of the original associate members to the MTI. But actually, I was an MTI member back in the 70s because we owned the heat treat, John Young and I. Yeah, John was the 
the member and I was the alternate. Uh, but they they were very, very down on a salesperson like myself coming to those type of meetings. I did go to a couple. In fact, the very, I think, first or second meeting that Lance ever had, I was at. And I met a guy there at that meeting who was from a little out in Oklahoma, a guy by the name of John Hubbard. And that was back in probably 1980, roughly. Yeah. 81, yeah. maybe. Yeah. It was in that time. Yeah. So, so for those who are listening that might not know, Lance Miller was the executive director of the Metal Treating Institute, which uh, not anymore. Tom Morrison is currently in that position. And John Hubbard, for those of you who might not know, ended up being the CEO of Body Coat for years and years. So, yeah, this is how we make connections. And, and over the years, it, it, I think establishing relationships, try to be as honest as you can with your customers. Yeah. You know, there, 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 there's a certain point that, you know, I, I think maybe somewhat a little guarded in your answers than, uh, uh, how would I put it, be as honest as you can without giving away your company yeah. secrets or whatever. In other yeah. words, you've had something in the background in your company that's gone on that's affecting something. You don't need to broadcast that, but right. you should maybe tell your customer that we've had some issues that's going to delay us or change this or whatever. Right. And right. that's, that's the best thing. I just be yourself. Don't yeah. try to be somebody else. Just be yourself. And you know what? If you don't come home laughing and having a good time and enjoying yourself, you're in the wrong company. You're in the wrong in, business. In the wrong business to send out your resume somewhere else. Right. Yeah. Very yeah. good. Well, John, thanks very much. Really, really a pleasure talking to you as always. Um, uh, I would encourage anybody who doesn't know John, if you get a chance, uh, you should you should get to know him if possible. And uh, yeah, good good guy uh, knows a lot about the industry. Only a fraction of what he's shared with us today. So feel free to give him a call. So John, thanks again. I really appreciate your time. Well, thank you, Doug. We hope you enjoyed listening to today's episode with John Becker. Help us help others by giving Heat Treat Radio a five-star review or a like on any platform where you are listening, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, iHeartRadio, Podbean, and the website, where you can read the transcript and access both the audio and video. If you'd like to get in contact with John, head over to www.heattreatequip.com or email him at john at heattreatequip.com. You can also reach out to me and I can put you in touch. My email is bethany at heatreattoday.com. What do you want to learn more about on Heat Treat Radio? What technical solution? What new innovative idea? Email me at bethany at heatreattoday.com. And also, if you'd like to sponsor a future episode, please reach out to me. Again, my email is bethany at heatreattoday.com. Heat Treat Radio would like to thank High Pressure Heat Treatment, leading the renaissance of hot isostatic pressing, for supporting this episode. Get your free ebook today at www.heatreattoday.com forward slash ebook. This and every other episode of Heat Treat Radio is the sole property of Heat Treat Today and may not be reproduced in part or in whole without advanced written permission from Heat Treat Today. And I'm Bethany Leone. Thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.